While the Zacadias are chirping, the AC is still out, and it is still hot out, but it's Monday, and it's time for the Kevin Prentiville Show. We've got a lot on tap. We've got a fracking trailblazer, uh, Chesapeake, out of business. Denny's is going to join Patreon and also boycotting Facebook. Wall Street indexes, while they're back up, again, this just comes back to speculation. And that's going to be the theme and the three stories that we'll cover today on the Kevin Prendeville Show. But as always, we'll start with the opening salvo. Well, this is the opening salvo. It is the food for thought and the tone setter for what the rest of the show is going to be. And today I want to talk about oil, gas, prices, and an apparent loss of basic economic thought among the populace. You see, during the coronavirus pandemic, predictably, uh, oil prices fell, as did gas prices. People simply weren't using their vehicles as much as they were, and it made sense. We couldn't go to the places that we used to go to, and even if we did go to the places that we used to, we weren't uh, moving in the same uh, waves. In addition, people weren't driving to work. They were either didn't have a job anymore or they were working from home. And this effectively hurt the demand for gasoline. And, and even though there was plenty of supply because there was no demand, costs fell. That is a basic economic principle that you'll learn in any economics 101 class or uh, uh, even high school economics class. Heck, when I took, uh, um, I don't know, is there anything less than 101, whatever, whatever high school uh, college preparatory classes are, whatever level that is, I don't know, 99, I think, is the official designation regardless. Um, it's the first thing you learn in that class. Now, maybe people didn't retain it, but it's one of the fundamental things about economics that we can't forget. That cost is not just some arbitrary number thrown out by companies, evil companies looking to make a profit, and the good old government has to step in and stop them. Because you'll see uh, oil and, and gas prices start to rise again, as companies and moreover people start to get back to work even though in some states we have a rollback on some of the restrictions or a continuation on, on some of the restrictions with people they're still after the protests is there's this general feeling that people that the lockdowns are pretty much done that um, you can't turn around after not doing anything about the rioting and the protesting. You can't turn around to the people and continue to lock everything down. Uh, I believe that's the general feeling. And as a result, um, other than in some states like Florida and Texas, people are starting to use their vehicles again. Because of this, demand has gone up, and when demand goes up, cost goes up. Now, obviously, the mathematical calculations have to take effect when it comes to calculating costs and uh, profit and everything. No, nothing can go to zero, but there is a price range 
where everything, uh, where people will be willing to pay for something. And there's a, a minimum and a maximum to that. So when you have a higher demand for something, and trust me, we have plenty of supply, it's going to increase the cost. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is because you'll, you have tweets from uh, certain senators and people on the left that will often discuss the fact that they are elated that there are oil companies going out of business, that people are not using their vehicles as much, of course, because they uh, are environmentalists, and environmentalists have this idea, this, the buy into the peak oil idea and the uh, whole destruction of the environment and, and that we need to totally reorganize and redefine our own economy in order to uh, fall under their economic guidelines uh, or their economic uh, vision and vision of the world. But the fact of the matter is the people who lost their jobs, who worked for Chesapeake, have a very unique skill set. And they deserve to be compensated. Not, not to hear the cheers from people who will never work on an oil rig, who will never get their hands dirty the same way that, that people do who work in the natural gas and oil and energy sectors. They may not drive Mercedes in the same way that politicians do. They may not have drivers. They may not have the big houses. They may not meet movie stars. But they get those people moving. And they deserve recognition and they deserve respect. Not only do they deserve respect, but I believe they also deserve right financial information. Now again, this show is not specifically targeted at anybody within any demographic. This, this is information that I believe should be relatively available for everybody. And I don't think the financial industry does a good job of it. But moreover, in the interest of being politically correct, I don't believe that too many in the financial industry will call out this nonsense when politicians cheer for the fact that people lose their jobs. And that is a tragedy. As you can guess, when we leave the uh, opening salvo here in just a second, we'll talk about Chesapeake and, unfortunately, their bankruptcy and what it could mean on a wider economic scale. Stay with us. So I don't believe that Chesapeake is the first domino to fall here. And I understand we're not talking about the weather as we usually do uh, to warm up the segment. Ugh, I hate that language. Again, AC's still out here, and uh, I'm sweating bullets. I'm not in a suit coat this time. I've got uh, a loose-fitting polo on, and uh, man, it's hot. I don't know how people did this before air conditioning. You know, obviously people lived in Tennessee for, for years. Man, it's so hot you can even sit under uh, the shade of a tree and just 
doesn't help. The wind is hot. When the wind blows, it's still hot. It's horrid. But speaking of wind and energy and ways of making the world go round, Chesapeake, which was one of the largest U.S. oil and gas companies really up until about 2008, is done, officially bankrupt. Um, now, if that doesn't mean that they have closed all their doors and never show up again in some form, but unlike when a major brand goes out and they sell, I don't know, baking goods or cars or something where another company buys them and they still want to use the name. I don't think the name Chesapeake is coming back. But their assets are certainly for sale. And like I said, I don't think they are the first domino to fall in a series. It's not like Hertz or 24-hour fitness where they were healthy companies and then the lockdowns come in and the government effectively ended their business. See, Chesapeake, and this article by Fox Business points this out, uh, I think, pretty well, that they, and I didn't realize this, they had, if you account for all the acreage that they had purchased in order to get the drilling rights to, uh, it had just about the size of West Virginia. That's a lot of land. 15 million acres, according to the same article. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't, again, it's, some people will complain that corporations shouldn't own land, and I think those people are historically ignorant that we have a country in which the biggest landowners are corporations. And that's good because they're directly re responsible to the people. Instead of it being in Europe, you know, the church owned the most land. The Catholic Church still, I think, is one of the largest landowners uh, in the world, not just Europe. So we have a unique situation here in which we have not even our largest oil companies own more than the government, at least the government of West Virginia. But in order to acquire all that land, in order to pioneer fracking and the different ways of attaining oil, Chesapeake had to leverage themselves. Now, for those who may be new uh, and who are not familiar with the concept of leveraging, leveraging is using debt in order to acquire an asset. It's very specific. So you and I, when we use our credit cards, when we go into debt to buy McDonald's, that's not leveraging. We're not buying an asset. You know, we're buying a consumable. So that, to me, should be where you would use the word debt. We are going into debt to buy something. Usually a consumable or non-performing asset. Leveraging sounds fancier, for sure. But it does mean that you're, you may even be borrowing, uh, you're borrowing against an appreciating asset to buy an asset. And Chesapeake, because they were one of the first pioneers in fracking, used this technology to be a lot more efficient with the land they had. So what they would do is borrow against their own assets, be it land or otherwise, probably even their own stocks or cash reserves, 
and they would leverage into more land to get the more drilling rights to produce more profit then they would bar- and then they would use the profits from uh, drilling and from the land in order to pay the loan back and then now they've got two income producing assets then they leverage against that the cycle continues but unfortunately as this article points out that uh, as the industry pivoted to shale formations and shale oil uh, unfortunately, because of how leveraged they were, they weren't able to pivot, which is a fancy business term for change, to update themselves and move with the market. And because of that, um, this article notes that after 2008, they had to start selling off some assets. And that drove their stock price down, but you know they've been able to survive. But because of their aggression, they are still high, highly leveraged and that was their um, growth strategy but unfortunately with the coronavirus shutdown with the lack of demand for gas and oil and all of the other things that come with motor transportation they could no longer pay their debt and when you can't pay your debt well, they're in bankruptcy court right now. But I don't want this to be a conversation that all debt is bad because that is the easy takeaway from this, that somebody could look at this and say, well, if they just didn't go into any debt, if they just saved up a bunch of cash and purchased uh, land to drill on, then they would be still, still be in business. And that's not necessarily true because you look at the opportunity cost. And remember, opportunity cost is the cost of, it's the interest that you lose whenever you pay for something with cash. Because the only two things you can do with interest is either pay it to a financial institution or lose it. And in order to grow at a considerable pace, larger corporations will use leverage. So the solution isn't just to not leverage yourself. The solution is not to not take in any debt. I believe this is just a a lesson in managing the aggression in the fact that you should only be comfortable leveraging up to a certain point. That you should give yourself enough of a cushion that if something unexpected like this lockdown happens you have enough room to work with and they just simply didn't give themselves any room now nobody could blame them and I don't think anyone could predict that the coronavirus would create this and the immortal words of George Bush we uh, we misunderestimated it and this will be a time for other companies, or normally it'd be, it would be time for other oil and gas companies to swoop in and buy some land that they know is producing oil without having to search for any. But I'm not so sure that's going to happen. 
we are still in a very uncertain time. And I know the stock market's doing good right now. And I understand that some of the economic indica indicators are trending in the right direction in terms of job growth and all of that. But we don't know if the government's going to turn around and shut everything down again, which would be a terrible move, but I am thoroughly convinced governors and politicians don't know what they're doing. And yes, they are pretty much all idiots. I mean, that's that's why they've got to live off of <laughs> your dime and my dime, right? Because they can't create any value on their own. That's why they get into politics, so they can live on the taxpayer's dollar. But that's another topic for another day. My point here is, with this uncertainty, does another company want to leverage themselves into owning the land? And if the answer is no, then the bank's going to come in and the bank's going to own this land. Now, the bank doesn't want the land. You say, why? It's making money, you know, it produces oil. Well, if the bank wanted to be in oil, they, would, they wouldn't be a bank, right? They wouldn't be lending out the money. The bank doesn't want your assets. The, the, the biggest misnomer of the 2008 crisis was, this, was that there was these evil bankers sitting around just saying, yes, I can't wait to foreclose on this house. I'm going to twirl my mustache and I'm going to own this person's house. The reality of the situation is the bank wants you to pay them their money back. That's how they make money. They don't want your house. Often, they'll have to sell it for a loss. And the mortgage comes off the books. So similarly, when a company like this goes bankrupt, the bank doesn't want land. They want to be a bank. They want to loan money. But with all this uncertainty, I'm not so sure that companies are going to be willing to buy it. Now, how long is the bank going to have to sit on that land? Unfortunately, could be years. We don't know when everything's going to be fully back to normal. We don't know when people are going to be no longer scared. Maybe even as far as into the next presidential election. Now, jokingly, you could say, well, if we elect Joe Biden, then all this goes away in terms of the media hype. But it won't. The damage is done. People are afraid. Uh, uh, certain groups of people are afraid. How long that fear lasts is, is up to them. Regardless, this could put additional strains on the banking system. Why? Well, the bank's not getting their money. And the bank's not terribly concerned, unless there's a bank run, there's, the bank's not terribly concerned with a couple people becoming delinquent. Of course, if they did their homework on the person, and that's why you've got credit scores and everything, they wouldn't run into the problem, this problem, but it's the larger companies where the banks really make their money. So this could put additional strain on the banking system. Not just Chesapeake, but any other oil company that might be over leveraged. And does this Leveraging mean that they were poorly run? Again, I would argue probably not. 
in the fact that it's a common business practice. It's not like they were leveraging themselves into the subprime mortgage market, which is what happened in 2008 and what caused much of that calamity. Regardless, this is something to pay attention to because more strain on the banking system could mean another bailout. Another bailout means more national debt. More national debt means more inflation. More inflation means that it hurts you on one end in terms of your money's worth less and less. And on the other end, with more national debt, usually comes higher taxes. With higher taxes comes more out of your pocket. But I don't think many people are talking about this. And that's why I want you to know. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about Denny's. And uh, no, as much as we all like a good pancake, uh, it's not me going on a rant about terrible service. It's more about them joining Facebook's ad boycott and what Facebook might do in order to counter this sudden drop in ad revenue. This is the Kevin Prendeville Show. Stay with us. Well, it hasn't gotten any cooler. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that. But um, you know what has happened, uh, speaking of cooling, is uh, Facebook stocks have continued to cool. Uh, they are down now almost 10% uh, as we continue here. And uh, as we continue really this, the, what we um, covered on, on uh, Saturday, heat's getting to me, apologize. <laughs> um, but what we went over on Saturday was that these companies were pulling out and essentially that it was my uh, argument too that they, were, they weren't seeing the return on investment um, in the advertising. I don't think, again, that any company would willingly pull advertising that was working for them. Not just for, and not unless there was some huge groundswell movement or Facebook was actually, you know, uh, part of the, uh, you know, some sort of radical group, which, you know, someone argued they they are, but, you know, the, the wrong kind of radical group, if you catch my drift. Now, this has led to, essentially, this, this about 10% drop has led to about 46, 46, 56 billion dollars wiped out from Facebook's value or potential value. This is huge. Any company that loses that kind of money that quickly may be in serious trouble. Now, again, as we went over, and then Simon Black's uh, mentioned with uh, the theory of upside-down capitalism. Look, Facebook really wasn't turning a profit in the first place, but there was so much speculation around the company, given its potential for growth and continued growth, that its stock prices remain strong, up to over $200 a share. They were able to leverage themselves and buy Instagram and Snapchat and Vine, I believe, before they closed that down. So Facebook... Facebook was doing all right, considering they weren't really turning a profit, but... Now, with this sudden bad press and bad news around them, 
I believe a lot of the stock, a lot of the speculators are bailing. Now you could see that the potential uh, that that some speculators may believe that there's potential for a rebound, and you could see some of them buy in, and that could shift the stock price. But this is a, I think they're in free fall right now. And again, if people, unfortunately had these as part of their safe uh, uh, portfolio in, in a mutual fund. And again, this comes back to, I don't care how diversified you are. It doesn't mean you're any safer. That's another topic for another day. But people who had Facebook as part of their safe stock in their mutual fund, if at 8 o'clock today they, they called right up and said, I sell all my stock in Facebook, that doesn't get executed until four o'clock this evening. That's how most mutual funds work. Even on orders like that. So stock could fall even more. This further compounds your loss and also takes away a potential blue chip. Now, does it mean that in the future other social media companies will suffer and could it be a while before we see a true blue chip social media company? Maybe. I don't think Facebook's going to die from this, but they're definitely not as strong as they were. And because they're not as strong as they were, you're going to see more speculators drop out. You're going to see more of your even uh, buy and hold strategy people. They're going to drop out, as they probably should. This is not a good thing for the average investor. Now, politically, I don't know, maybe maybe the Anti-Defamation League and the NAACP are accomplishing some part of a larger goal here. I don't know. But they're hurting a lot of people in the process, not just Mark Zuckerberg, not just Facebook. And this is the problem now that we've mixed finance and politics. It's the problem when governments get the, uh, too involved in economies and yes I understand the NAACP and then to defamation league are not necessarily governments but when you have a anything political is related to the government essentially I told you the heat's getting to me that line should have came out better but you know uh, my point here is that we've mixed politics and finance and we can't go back. Not until we fix our culture. Because, as it's been said before, sick culture needs to talk politics. And until then, people are going to hurt. Because there are layers to this Facebook story other than just companies are pulling out. Again, as I said, some speculators may buy in, but again, I think a lot of people are saying because of the tremendous amount of lost potential here for Facebook, a lot of speculators are going to pull out, and that means that the stocks are going to drop even further, which after that means that the long-term investors are going to pull out. Again, you're going to, I think you're going to see a, a pretty decent fall for Facebook stocks. And then they'll probably fall to below where speculators assume that 
they should be. And you're going to have all these people buy in. And the stock's going to rebound. And then you're going to have the long-term buy and hold people buy back in. And the stock price might you know, bounce up a little bit. And then speculators, something will happen. Speculators will run somewhere else. And you get left holding the bag again. That's why this is so important. Because the average American doesn't get this information. I'm not alleging any grants conspiracy here. That's just the way it works. And it's horrible. Lucky for me, there's a, there's a job for that, though. That's what I help people fix. Now, when we come back for the final segment here of the Kevin Prendeville Show, we'll talk about um, the indexes are, right now, positive change for... Uh, all the screens we're all green and we're going to talk more about speculation it may be hot we may be sweating but let's stay here well we'll get you out of here probably in just over a half hour that's uh where if you whittle everything down and you're listening to this um via podcast which is where uh, the highest percentage of our viewers uh catch the show uh we usually like to keep it in just about a half hour. That gives you enough time to hear all the segments and uh, learn something and get out before uh, before your brain gets a little bored with the whole finance thing. Studies say uh, this is why uh, in classrooms and, and things that, that classes are about 45 minutes. Studies will say that um, 45 minutes worth of studying in 15 minute increments is the most effective. And I believe this information is so important that we really ought to try to get as much as we can. Now, the S&P is up just uh, about a half percent, and this is to be expected. The S&P is, is filled with much larger companies. Um, you've got Facebook dropping off, which hurts it a lot, um, but you've got a lot of other companies with international holdings that are doing a little better, um, and these companies also include... Uh, food companies like uh, you know McDonald's and Burger King, fast food places to uh, other larger companies, construction companies that weren't as affected by, or digital companies that weren't as affected by the lockdowns. So naturally, the S and P is going to push through here. The Nasdaq is doing as usual, just moving right along. Again traditionally safer companies. The Dow Jones um, is up 400 points. It's about a 1% shift as, as it goes back and forth. Now, the Dow is going to be up and down and sway back and forth. There's so much uncertainty right now. Are we going to lock down the whole state uh, country again? Is it just going to be a few states? How is that going to affect companies based in certain areas? For, you know, Verizon, for example, is in Texas. Um, you know, how... And, and speculators and long-term investors are figuring this out. And as you see them shift and move money around, you're going to see the market go up, and then it's going to go back down, it's going to go back up. Um, you're seeing a lot of this uncertainty play out. That's just how it works. That's to be expected. Um, now, you see gas prices going up, which gives investors confidence because people are using it again means the economy usually, that's the first sign the economy is going to get rolling again. But then you have the 
potential for that all to shut down. And this article from Fox Business also points out that um, in Japan, their Nikkei uh, 225, which is their version, um, essentially their version version of the Standard and Poor or S and P, is down about two and a half percent. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong dropped about one percent, and the Kopsai uh, in Seoul fell about two percent. Uh, Germany's DAX was up a tenth. Uh, the French SIAC 40 was flat. The FTSE was uh, up, and London was up by about a half a percent. Um, and you saw a tenth of a percent, I'm sorry, one hundredth of a percent growth on the uh, 10-year Treasury bonds for the Fed. So clearly the Fed has no, and this is the best news um, for people like me who believe that the Fed should not go negative in the way that, uh, with their bond rates and the way that we see Europe. I don't think it's a long, uh, has a long-term uh, stability. Of course, it's untested. People have been wrong before. But I don't think with the most powerful dollar in the world that we should mess around with enticing people to um, borrow against uh, a deflating do- or an inflating dollar, which is becoming devalued time and time again. I told you this heat's getting to me. I can't even talk right. But uh, the fact that the 10-year treasury went up even just a little bit makes me feel a little bit better. Because I was again to the uh, point where I thought it was impossible. Now again, this means for you and, and I, in terms of mortgages, that they're going to be relatively stable. Um, but again, I don't think you're going to see a rise much beyond two and threes for a little bit. I do think you have some time there. Um, but globally, you see Asia still hit, not necessarily with the coronavirus, but China is being very aggressive now. And so you're seeing a lot more uncertainty there in terms of stability in the region uh, versus Europe, where you do have all these lockdowns. Um, you've got uh, so you've got very slow growth. You already had slow growth in Europe before all of this, and these lockdowns don't help. Again, the FTSE 100, the DAX in Germany, um, in France, the uh, CAC40. Um, again, measure of the largest French, British, and German companies, uh, respectively, not necessarily a great economic indicator in these areas. Same thing. You've got a hollowing out middle class. You've got a lot of people in the middle, uh, or a lot of people in the lower class, a lot of people in the higher class that uh, are doing much better than the people in the lower class. Not exactly a recipe for success when you have slow growth like this. And the larger companies, again, are a mirror of that slow growth. So what does this all mean? Well, again, I think this is going to hurt a lot of people who buy and hold. And that's been the message of today's episode. And that is the one thing, if you take nothing else away from these 35 minutes, I want you to take this away. The buy and hold strategy in the market in order to receive a dividend is the best way you can play the market or the safest way you can pay them play the market and it's also at the same time it's the worst way how does that make sense well 
because when you buy and hold, you typically buy and hold much safer companies, larger companies that have, you can measure profits, you can measure, um, you know, uh, you can measure cash reserves. They are, the, the variables that affect that company um, are much more measurable than smaller companies. You remember penny stocks in the 80s. It's much like, uh, one of the reasons I like real estate is that it minimizes a lot of the economic risk because real estate is local, based on the local economy, which is much more easy to measure and has less variables than a national market. So similarly, a larger company that is publicly traded has less variables. And it, it almost seems counterintuitive, but it's not when you think about it. Where they are less subject to regulations, potential regulations, that if they are in companies with oppressive governments like China, typically they have a deal worked out with those companies and they don't have to fear retaliation by those governments. You have a, real, uh, a CEO that has spent a lot of time usually with that company or as a CEO in other places. So you've got history there. If they're publicly traded, you know what their cash position looks like. You know how, you know the potential of growth, you know the profit statements. And you can make an educated guess because that's all we're doing in the stock market. And you can make a dividend on that if you do if you play it right. And again, it should be the icing on the cake. But the fact that speculation has taken over with so many of these companies, and like we said on Saturday with upside down capitalism, where companies aren't taking profits but they have great uh, stock prices and stock value, people who are in the best position to make money in the stock market in terms of dividend payments are in the worst strategy right now because they'll they'll always be last when it comes to competing with the speculators even though the speculators are probably going to go broke before the buy and hold people what does this mean it means that the market should not be the base for your retirement. The market should not be the base for how you grow your wealth. There's too many variables for loss here. Things change, economic thought changes, and in a decade maybe we're all back to buying and holding. Maybe we have something new, who knows? But the financial industry is not changing with the times, and because of that, People are being left in the dust. And that, that is why I get up every day, to preach that message and to educate as to why. Now, I thank you for letting me into your car or into your house or your workspace, wherever you're listening and however you're listening to us on whatever platform you're using. I appreciate it. And I hope you learned something today. This has been The Kevin Prenville Show.